0: guys. So Matt asked me kind of last minute to uh, fill in for him and I was happy to do so and I was just thinking through, we're not working through a passage or a Bible book so I thought what is it that God has kind of been laying on my heart and some different things I've been thinking about. And there's a number of different things that have all kind of come together into what I want to talk about today. One of them is that a few years ago, uh, my wife and I had counseling with Caring for the Heart. I've mentioned it a few times, the Christian counseling method. And they have this ability to really go deep into your heart and connect a couple and help them talk heart to heart. And one of the key phrases that they use is something like, is there a little boy inside of you that was hurt when that was said? Or Or is there a little girl inside of you that would just like to say something? And there's some, there's power in asking somebody when when you're calm and you're trusting and you're ready to communicate, to ask. And and sometimes late at night, this is something we ask each other. Is there, how's the little girl inside? How are you doing? Um, I was reminded of this because I was recently reading Jordan Peterson's book, 12 Rules for Life. And he talked about speaking to your inner child and being kind to your inner child. And I thought, it's interesting. And I'm reading also, just finished The Great Divorce, again, by C.S. Lewis. A great book. I won't try and summarize it because it's also a crazy book. But you should read it. It's, it's really interesting. And he talked a lot about growing old and the child within that, that is in communi- communion with God. And I'm continually reminded of my grandmother, who I think is 96 or 97 now. But almost every time I meet her, she says, you know, I'm just a little girl inside. And I just love my Jesus. And that's just... That's her. That's Susanna Meyer. And there's just something about being a child that kind of is, has been rolling around in my l- mind lately. And But before I get to the sermon topic, I'm going to build up, and then when I get to the sermon topic, you'll be like, yay! So I'm going to build up to why we're going here. Um, there's two questions that I want to ask that I think are kind of central to ask. First of all, what good could Christianity possibly do for me? What what do I need Christianity for? What do I need religion for? Let's just say somebody's asking this question. They're reasonably healthy, reasonably wealthy, have friends around them. They're not particularly lonely, have purpose and direction in their life. What can Christianity add that I don't currently have? So it's a question that people ask, right? I don't need religion. Religion is a crutch for the weak. I'm not weak. What do I need religion for? And the second question is, just what is it that Jesus wants to do with me anyways? What's the bottom line? Because it's not entirely clear what the bottom line is in Christianity. Some religions, perhaps, it seems a little bit more clear. In Buddhism you cut off attachment and then eventually you arrive at Nirvana and you, you know, enter into nothingness. Islam, you do the right things so that you can enter into Heaven. But what is it Christianity? There's something about being reborn. What does that mean exactly? Jesus said, there's a promise about I will take out your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. What does that mean exactly? Jesus said, the kingdom of God belongs to these children. Unless you become converted and become like a little child, you cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. What is it exactly that Christianity is, what does Jesus want to do with me exactly? And what I want to propose to you is that Jesus wants to do nothing to you other than to fulfill the deepest dream of your heart, because I believe that the deepest dream that is so deep that we rarely touch on it is to be young again. Some of our best stories are about going on a quest to search for the elixir of youth, to, and, and our ancestors seriously searched for this, right? They would go to the deepest, darkest places. This is the story of the Holy Grail, looking for eternal youth and vitality, so that I will never die, so that I can live on. And in some ways, this is what science is continuing to do, is this search for eternal youth and vitality, and we will never die and we will always stay young. But it's not just not dying. It's not just staying young. It's not just being healthy and beautiful and having energy. We want to be young inside, right? We want to be free from the symptoms of aging, the busyness, the complexity, the sophistication, the the inability to be pleased as we once were. We long to return to those days when a red ball would just fill our life with joy or a good meal would just satisfy us or a mother or a father's embrace would just fill us with love and joy and that was it. How do we have that sort of a youth? You know there's an interesting contradiction that I thought of as I was preparing this sermon is that when we have little kids our main objective in life is to help them grow up. And what we mean by that is stop being so selfish, stop being so petty, learn to forgive, let go of a grudge. Don't be so competitive. Grow up. Stop being such a kid. Sometimes in our, in our less sanctified moments, we might even say that to our kids. Grow up already. Stop being such a kid. But when we're adults, we say, I wish I could be more like a child and be more simple. So when was it exactly when we had what we're looking for? We didn't have it when we were kids. we don't have it when we're adults. What are we trying to grasp that keeps eluding us? There's another interesting paradox is that we talk about being humane, and we have a humane society. we have this expression, "Oh, the inhumanity," which has become a little bit, uh, you know, theatrical. Um, but what we mean by that is you're being cruel, you're being mean. But how can you say to a human they're being inhumane? Isn't that a contradiction? What is this standard of humanity against which we're, we're measuring ourselves, if it's not ourselves? You can't say to a lion that kills a giraffe, you're being unlion like Whatever a lion does is what a lion does. But for humans we say we're being inhumane, because there's something that we know, we can't grasp it. It's like the morning dew that when you grasp it with your hands, it's gone. You can't... What is it? When we're kids, we want our kids to, to grasp it. When we're adults, we wish we could grab it. When somebody does something wrong, we say, you've missed it. What is this? This youth, this innocence, this beauty that we, that we long for. I believe that this is exactly what Jesus wants to give us. And if we could have this... If we could live forever in our bodies, but not in our current state, but in the state of innocence that we are longing for, that we want for our children, that we want for society, this would be heaven. I think a fairly simplistic view of religion is to say, how can I get into heaven? How do I do the things, check off the boxes, and and do all the religious stuff so that I can go to the good place when I die? And I think a deeper understanding of religion is, how do I get heaven into me? Because if I went to a place where I live forever in my current state of insecurity, of pride, of fear, of jealousy, of hatred and animosity, and I live forever, getting worse and getting colder and getting older every day, that wouldn't be heaven. In fact, that might be something like hell. I would like to live forever, but I would like to be new inside. To get my hands on what it is I've been craving all my life. And this is in fact how J.K. Chesterton has described God with reference to children. He says, because children have abounding vitality, they are fierce in spirit and free. Therefore, they want things always repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again. And the grown-up person does it again and again until he is nearly dead. For grown-up people are not strong enough to exalt in monotony. But perhaps God is strong enough to exalt in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun. And every evening, do it again to the moon. It It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never got tired of making them. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy. For we have sinned and grown old, and our Father is younger than we. But our Father wishes to share with us. Our Father wishes to share with us. Jesus said, in that day you will understand that my Father is in me, and I am in him, and you will be in me, and I will be in you. And he will give us a new heart, and we will be reborn. What must we be, do to be saved? Jesus answered Nicodemus, You must be born again. How can we be born again? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You and your family, Paul said to the Philippian jailer. But you might say, Well, okay, I've done that. I'm, I still feel old. How do I get what God is offering? And the answer is that the life of following Jesus is a life marching uphill. It's called sanctification. It's the process of becoming holy. This is not a quest towards Jesus. This is not a quest towards salvation. This is a quest with Jesus, which began with salvation. It's not like going on a quest to eventually get married. It's like a life starting with marriage and now we're living it out which is why marriage is continually a metaphor that Jesus uses for the church. And on this journey, Jesus has left us a trail of breadcrumbs, so to speak, which we often refer to as the Lord's Prayer. And I'd like us to just look briefly at the Lord's Prayer, which you can look at in, uh, <clears throat> we're going to read it later, you can just pull out your liturgies here, and it will be on kind of the third page There's, of course, so much richness here, but I want to draw at least four things out of the Lord's Prayer as we continue on this journey of walking uphill towards holiness and towards this place of innocence where um, the simplicity and childlikeness of God enters into our hearts. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. You know, most of us, and I would include myself in this until about last year when we started studying the Lord's Prayer in our home church, in our home Bible study group. We call it catechism here? Yeah. Every church calls it something different. Anyways, the Bible study we've been having in our home, we've been really focusing on the Lord's Prayer. And I realized before that, my prayers were basically, give us this day our daily bread, amen. And what focusing on the Lord's Prayer has helped me to realize is that Jesus taught his disciples to pray, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven, and then give us this day our daily bread. And then there's other stuff too, that we'll talk about in a second. But the bottom line of that is, yes, kids ask their parents for stuff. It is true. I can testify. Okay? Kids ask their parents for stuff all the time. And parents are happy to give their kids stuff. But that asking and receiving takes place in the context of family. And I think that's what God wants us to understand is that as we are, once we are saved and as we're part of the divine family and as we are walking up the hill towards sanctification, we're part of the family. And we're not outsiders looking in. We're not like... Um, we're not like citizens trying to petition our government for something with picket signs and and trying to make noise and trying to, hey, help us, listen to us, as we did a few weeks ago and fell on deaf ears. Um, We're like a child that has inside access. And we know that uh, our Heavenly Father hears us. And we fit ourselves, we fit our requests our desires inside of the household we know that our father is in charge and we pray that his kingdom will come and his will will be done first and we fit ourselves into that we pray like a child who is part of a family under a father that loves him that's how we phrase our prayers that's how we get to the place of saying give us this day our daily bread It's a place of calm. It's a place of surrender. It's a place of understanding that even though there are hard things in this world, this is our Father's world. As the old hymn says, this is my Father's world. And to my listening ears, all nature sings and round me rings the music of the spheres. This is my Father's world. I rest me in the thought of rocks and trees, of skies and seas. His hand the wonders wrought. This is my father's world, the birds their carols raise, the morning light the lily-white declare their maker's praise. This is my father's world, he shines in all that's fair. In the rustling grass I hear him pass, he speaks to me everywhere. This is my father's world, oh let me ne'er forget, that though the world seems oft so strong, God is the ruler yet. This is my Father's world. The battle is not done. Jesus who died shall be satisfied, and earth and heaven be won. Jesus said, In this world you will encounter tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. I noticed that this section is in the middle. Forgiveness is in the middle of the Lord's Prayer. And in Jewish thought, usually the thing that's in the middle is the most important. And forgiveness of our sins and our forgiveness of other people's sins seems to be the most important, most central thing that Jesus had to say. In fact, that's the only thing that he came back and recapped, if you read it in Matthew. That's the thing he came back to and said, if you don't forgive others their sins, your heavenly father won't forgive your sins. That's the only thing he came back to. Forgiveness. Our sins make us old. Our sins make us jaded. Our sins make us not want to come out and play. We see this with our kids, right? Little Johnny, why, why are you sad? Why are you angry? Why aren't you talking to me? Why are you hiding? What, what's going on? There's something, he did something. If it's a really young child, they probably filled their diaper. (laughs) And they feel ashamed, right? They feel ashamed and and you need to clean it up. If they're an older child, maybe they soiled their heart. And they need to be led to repentance and forgiveness and reconciliation. And when the child is forgiven, then the smile comes back and the light comes back to their eyes and the joy. And they can come out and play and they can be happy. And they can be delighted again with the simple pleasures of life and with companionship and friendship. And for us, James 5.16 says, Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. We are sinners by nature and by choice. We sin. We need to be forgiven for our sins. We can't just hide in a closet of our hearts and say well I'm just going to be strong. I'm just going to distract myself with the busyness of life. I'm just going to, what really matters, what's really important is getting this job done and showing my family a strong face. No. They need to see you. They need to see your heart. They need you to repent of your sins. They need you to be forgiven, first by God, and then, as appropriate, by others. Psalm 51 is the psalm that David wrote after he sinned his great sin with Bathsheba. And he prayed, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Let the bones, make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. When we are healed, when we are forgiven, we can rejoice. And this is what God wants to bring to us. This is the springtime of the soul that Jesus won for us on the cross. And that perhaps is part of why Easter always comes around springtime. Because it was God's way of saying, okay, no, I'm thinking on the spot, and I just realized in the southern hemisphere this would not work. Forget about that thought. <laughs> but it would have been an awesome thought if it hadn't landed. All right, moving on. We need to forgive others. And this is tied integrally to forgiving ourselves or being forgiven for our own sins. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. We also need to be able to laugh at ourselves, which is not part of the sermon, but it's very important. Um, This reminds me of, I don't know how young or old I was. I was fairly young. And I was in a situation where... I just kept crying, and a certain person in my life kept bugging me, teasing me, and I kept crying. And this person wasn't especially mean, they just had a sharp wit, and they hurt me. And this person kept saying, Why are you so fragile? I'm just trying to be funny. Why are you so fragile? I just bumped you. And so I prayed about it as a very young child, and I said, God, make me less fragile. And you know, sometimes you say God speaks to you, and that's a little bit of a a little bit of a dangerous thing to say because you don't want to claim something that isn't true. And, and we hear voices in our head all the time. We speak to ourselves all the time. We think through thoughts. But it seems as though 30 years later when you still remember that thought and it seems to fit with scriptures that maybe it was God speaking to me as a young child. And what I heard back or what I thought back was, I'm not going to make you less fragile. Okay, God, what am I going to do with this person that keeps bugging me that's in my life? And so I said, God, help me to heal faster. And I felt like God said, that prayer I will answer. Often as young children, we get hurt and we make vows. I will never be hurt in that way again. I will never be hurt by an authority figure again. I will never be hurt by a man again. I will never be hurt by a girl again. And these are vows that bind our heart, and they make us old. Jesus wants to help us heal instead. And the secret to healing is forgiveness. It's forgiveness. And it works something like this. Father, there's a little boy inside my heart that was hurt when those words were said. It made me feel valueless. It made me feel like a little insect that got stepped on, and it made me feel like I was weak. God, do you care about that little child? God, I'm not going to make that person pay. Have mercy on them, for they do not know what they did. I will pay the emotional pain and consequences of those actions. And you just take a moment to let that little boy cry on Jesus' knees. Jesus, please forgive me for the bitterness I've had against that person. I want it to end now. And Jesus, please fill this place with your love and your peace. And may the bones which you have broken rejoice. And may I hear the sound of singing and dancing again. And when we are forgiven and when we forgive others, then the little boy can go out and play again. And the little boy can care for others again. And the heart is free. The heart is free. How do you know when you haven't forgiven? It's so hard to forgive. It's so hard. You can say the words a million times, and it's hard to forgive. When we're not forgiving, there's this fountain of creativity inside of us that keeps thinking up ways to get revenge. And keeps thinking through, if I was back in that situation, I would say this. He would say this, and then I would say this. Or, shouldn't have done that. That hurt. If only I could do this. And there's all these thoughts. And it keeps us going round and round in circles. And it keeps us us old. When we forgive, and we just let it go. And God brings new life to that place. We start having other thoughts, like... I wonder what made that person do that. I bet you that person was in a place of pain when they did that. I bet you somebody else hurt them to make them do that. Or perhaps, if they acted purely out of evil intent, I just feel sorry for them. And I want to pray for them. Because they're in a dangerous and a dark place. When we truly forgive, that little boy or girl can come inside can come out and feel nothing but kindness towards the person that has hurt them. That doesn't mean that they need to go get hurt again, but they can truly feel kindness towards that person. And it's a beautiful thing in a family, in a marriage, when a husband and a wife, when children, when friends can truly walk in friendship, Um, to live and laugh and play once again as innocent children, without the anger, without the bitterness, without the revenge. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Our children, without exception, have been afraid of something in their closet, something under the bed. And as parents, we have tended to say, it's not real. It's not real. Just go to sleep. But what we mean to say is, I'm here, and I'll protect you. Because the child, perhaps what they're saying is there's something in the closet or something under the bed, but I think that that's their way of saying, I'm afraid. And the reason that they have fear is because this is a terrifying world, and slowly children come to understand that there's things in this world that could could destroy them. There's people in this world that mean them harm. And there's even evil spirits out there that wish to cause them harm. This is a scary world. And it's not entirely true that it doesn't exist. The monster in the closet doesn't exist. But there are dangers out there. But what we as parents can say is, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to spread my spiritual protection over you. I'm going to keep you safe. So go to sleep. And as we grow up, we can be gripped with fear because we're no longer in our Father's home. We no longer have somebody protecting us. But we live in our Father's world. And we can pray with confidence that our Father protects us, knowing that, as He's promised in Romans, He causes all things to work together for our good. And as he promised in Jeremiah, that he knows the plans that he has for us. Plans to prosper us and give us a future and a hope. And so we can pray. Father, keep us from evil. And keep us from temptation. Father, I'm not strong. If I'm in the wrong situation, I'll be tempted to choose myself over others. I'll be tempted to take something good, but in, at the wrong time in the wrong way. Father, protect me from temptation because I don't want to have to repent again. I would rather just not sin in the first place. Please protect me from temptation. Don't lead me into temptation. And deliver me from evil. Yes, I can forgive when, when evil is done to me, but please just avoid the situation in the first place. Keep me from evil. And we know that we live in our Father's world. We know that our Father protects us. So what does Jesus want to do to you? He wants to make you young again. How? By learning to rest and to trust and to live in our Father's world, in our Father's house. And to pray to Him with a spirit of confidence and a spirit of trust. By being forgiven for your sins so that you can come out of the closet, come out of hiding and play. To forgive others for their sins so that we are no longer bitter and have divisions among us and to rest under the Father's protection. Let's pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. May thy kingdom come, and thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil.